Hi, I'm Jake Parker with the What's Your Story podcast. Here I talk with my guests about their life experiences as well as current and long-term goals and what gets them through the ups and downs. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, and if you don't already, follow my Instagram account at jparkerfitlife for actionable tips daily to live a healthier lifestyle and for access to my YouTube and blog. Enjoy the show. Hi, guys. Welcome to the What's Your Story podcast. Today, my guest is Yanis. He is better known um, from his online and Instagram title, which is Mr. Sport. He does a lot of things um, as far as on his website and Instagram page, coaching clients. And so I'll let him go ahead and give a little bit of an introduction, tell a little bit about what he does. What's going on? Thank you for having me, man. Um, so yeah, my, my background is I come from a sports science background. Um, I specialize in nutrition. I work a lot with fighters. So for any of you listeners out there that follow MMA, um, I do a lot of the weight cuts, a lot of the refuels um, for some of the fighters here in the UK. Um, so that's one part of my business. And obviously the other side is, uh, as you said, I do a lot of online stuff. I do online plans with my clients, online coaching, and um, people trying to lose weight, people trying to build muscle or just improve their eating habits. Um, and yeah, I also like to call out um, dietary misconceptions and fads, uh, as I'm sure you've seen, bro. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, that's, that's, that's essentially what I do. Yeah. So how did you get your education then in sports science, I think, if I remember correctly? Yeah. So my degree, I did a degree in Southampton, um, which was in sports coaching and development. So it was primarily sports science with no, you know, I wasn't specializing in anything. Um, then I did a master's, which was in athletic development and peak performance. Um, so that's really where my, the bulk of my athlete work um, mm -hmm. was, um, you know, that, where that came from. Um, and then I came over to the US and I did a, um, I did a bit of research with Stanford, got a qualification with them. And that's where I really specialized in nutrition. You see, a lot of people think that I, learned nutrition from the beginning but actually um it was in my masters where i had a unit of nutrition mm -hmm. uh, marginal gains for athletes where i really found that passion for uh for food so so yeah yeah so why do you think that you've kind of ventured off to make such a big part of what you do just helping like the average person to gain muscle or lose fat when you have so much experience in like the athletic and sports uh based industry um I think, as I said, I think it's just because I have a passion for nutrition, but also mm -hmm. as well, I, you know, you, you probably feel the same. Um, I find it really bizarre that, you know, the common, common sense or common knowledge of nutrition mm -hmm. isn't actually very common. You know, um, the, the stuff that I feel like we're promoting to people in terms of calories, in terms of macros, I feel like this is like basic math sums you know it's not like we're, we're teaching someone um pythagoras theorem or something yeah. in maths, you know it's very simple stuff um and i find it quite frustrating um for use of a better word yeah um, that the common folk doesn't know that you know doesn't have this knowledge so mm -hmm. me i'd love working with athletes my you know i've always been involved in sport that's my passion however i do like helping um dispel some of these myths and misconceptions and helping people get on the right path yeah so why fighting an mma guy specifically then um well when i was doing my i was in the second year of my degree and i was doing a, a bit of muay thai a bit of jujitsu this was about 
six years ago. So really before the whole Conor McGregor and the whole growth, if you like, of the UFC. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a growing sport at the time, but not the way it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did a couple of terrible weight cuts myself. I starved myself for days, um, still miss weight. <laughs> um, and it's something that I looked into. And the more I looked into it, I suppose from a business standpoint, I saw a, a gap in the market, a niche yeah. that I could, that I could, you know, I could go into. Mm-hmm. But also, it it really showed me that sports science was quite young at the time in this sport. You know, um, right. we have over here football, which you guys call soccer, mm-hmm. football. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and obviously, sports science in that, and I'm sure sports science in in the NFL and whatnot yeah. is big. You know, they have their S and C coaches, their nutritionists. Mm-hmm. But in MMA, you've got your jiu-jitsu coach who's doing your weight cuts, who's doing your strength and conditioning. And um, for me, I just felt like there was a gap in the market and it was a passion of mine. So I sort yeah. of jumped in. Yeah. And so I don't know if I missed that, but did you have, you had some uh, fighting experience yourself then? Yeah, yeah. So I did a couple of inter, inter clubs, which are, um, I suppose, like amateur bouts, amateur okay. fights, um, and did a few jiu-jitsu tournaments. I think I did MMA for about three years. Um, and then as I started working in MMA, um, that just took the majority of my time. So I actually stopped. Okay. So my first question that comes up is, <coughs> what, what are some of the similarities and differences in, I mean, at the end of the day, I know it's very different, but it's somewhat similar when you talk about uh, MMA uh, fighters cutting weight and then like the average person who wants to cut weight. What are some of the similarities and differences there? Um, well, I think, you know, the main difference is that uh, you're cutting you know, you're reducing body fat as opposed Mm -hmm. to cutting water. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that that's a big, big one that people are getting crossed over. Like aesthetic versus like just plain flat out weight. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, you see a lot of people, especially females, unfortunately, who are focused on scale weight. And -hmm. that's why they assume carbohydrates make them fat, where where in essence is carrying a little bit of extra water. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is something that we use for fighters to help bring the weight down. Um, whereas for fat loss, as you know, it's a lot of, it's a slower, um, it's a slower approach, you know, mm-hmm. reduce body fat. You know, I have some guys who in one week could cut 20 pounds. Um, yeah. It's not really healthy, but you know, you tell this uh, online and then you have, you know, some people saying, Oh, can you help me cut 20 pounds yeah. in one week? And it's like, like you, you don't, don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've always been I've always been curious about that. What is the process of like say you did have a fighter that's like I need to cut like 20 pounds in a week. What is what are some of like the the extreme lengths that they go to? Um well, really, you know, when you are cutting water, obviously in in the muscle you've got glycogen and mm-hmm. that contains water. So really what you're trying to do is restrict carbohydrates, so starches, grains and even fruits. Mm-hmm. Um to almost create this flushing effect. Um, so what you do is you you restrict carbohydrates, you restrict sodium, um, and it sort of throws the body's hormonal system off, and it sort of makes you it makes it feel like okay, I need to balance things out. I'm going to flush water out. Okay. So if you combine that with a water load, so increasing um, you know the fighter's water intake daily, mm-hmm. um, it helps bring that weight out. Um, it's not a particularly healthy process. Yeah. Um, However, you know, I try to make sure some of my fighters aren't cutting crazy amounts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully most people know. And if it's not obvious, like, don't, you know, you don't want to be using, you know, fighter type techniques to lose weight for yourself. That's obviously, it's a much different process and there's much different goals and necessities there. 
But uh, yeah, that's something I've just always been fascinated with the fact that like you, you see those guys and what's, what's some of the differences where like, I know that they say that, you know, you're, you, the, the fighter will go through that process of cutting weight and then they'll just gain a bunch right back right away before the fight. What would you say is the difference in weight between like a weigh-in and then once they're able to get back to, to eating like right before the fight? Um, do, do you mean within that 24 hour window? Yeah, yeah like right before they fight, after they weigh in? Yeah, may, between 10 and 20 pounds. Jeez. Um, and that's just so, like, cause you're so depleted basically? Yeah, exa yeah, exactly. Remember, it's not like they're gaining, it's not yeah. like they've got full maxed out stores, mm -hmm. um, glycogen stores, and then suddenly they're gaining 10, you know, 20 pounds of actual weight or mm -hmm. muscle. Um, yeah. It's that you've depleted them so much that you end up actually, you know, adding back to the reserves. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah. And it's like, it's, it's probably some of the uh, aspect of like your body likes to hold on, you know, when it, when it is um, coming off a period of deficit, because it's not sure it's kind of confused, like, oh, well, where are we going to go through another period of not getting any, any nutrients? We got to hold on to this as much as we can. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, the last, the last, um, the last sort of kilo can be tough for fighters. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, because it is just trying to get that last bit of water out. So, so yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you mentioned another topic that I know a little bit about, but still feel somewhat, uh, you know, ignorant about, haven't really done my own research, but explain the process of glycogen and how that relates to weight. And specifically what I think of is, I know that um, part of the reason that people, like the average person is kind of infatuated with like the keto diet is because when you stop taking in carbohydrates, you'll lose some weight just because of the glycogen. Uh, release but explain some of that in the scientific context and then partly in just like the context of the average dieter yeah i mean obviously muscle contains glycogen and you know this is part of the glycogen is the water you know mm -hmm. you can you have glycogen in the liver and you've got it in the muscle mm -hmm. the majority of it will go to the muscle so when you have your everyday jane who wants to lose weight and i hear it all the time with you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to single out women, but it mm -hmm. is, I hear it a lot with women because they are, um, I think the industry has made them so hung up on the scales. Um, but when you are depleting glycogen by, you know, restricting carbohydrates, mm -hmm. um, going on these keto diets, you know, it's very, it's almost like they've played into the fact that, you know, you're going to lose some, um, quick initial weight loss, but that's not the, the weight that you want to lose. You know, you want to mm -hmm. keep as lean mass as possible. Um, and that's when you see a lot of, a lot of people out there looking flat, um, feeling like shit, you mm -hmm. know, they're, they're not performing well in the gym. This is generally down to the fact that they've depleted glycogen so much, um, that all that really they have left is, is glycogen in the liver. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I mean, that, that, that's just the summary of it really. I mean, I mean and is that, that's also usually what contributes to the fact that like people, you know, going back to like the average dieter, not really any like specific nutrition, um, education or anything like that. Like, it seems like people that will go on that keto diet or low carb or whatever, you, you know, you want to call it, there's different names for it usually but they'll get off it and it'll be like, okay, I lost my goal weight. I'm going to come back off it. And then you'll see a huge increase in weight right away. Correct. Just because of the glycogen stores filling back up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the minute you consume some form, some form of carbohydrate that gets broken down into glucose, mm -hmm. that gets put into the muscle. Um, but this is good. This is, you know, this is what you want. This isn't yeah. um, bad thing. To, like people are infatuated with that scale weight, like you said, which is not really exactly. where you could be looking. 
Exactly, exactly. I mean, if you really do want to optimize lean mass or muscle growth, which I think everyone does, not just people trying to build muscle, but also people that are wanting to lose weight, you want to maximize um, glycogen in the muscle. So you want to be having a, you know, a sufficient amount of carbohydrates, mm -hmm. even if you are going low carb. Um, and I think, yeah, a lot of people are really mis misinterpreting the fact that your weight is your whole entire weight you know mm -hmm. relative to the scale it's not just body fat yeah that's uh, why i think some of the most useful like i know there's a lot of infographics that float around of like why why your weight's up on a certain day or something like that and i think that's a, the sort of stuff that's really useful to the average person because it's like your bowel movements your water retention your salt you know there's so many different factors in the scale weight it's more it's a lot it's a lot more helpful to just look at how you look in the mirror and how you feel overall. But that's yeah. just one of the things that frustrates me the most is like, I think I especially hear it from like, you know, when I talk to family and friends about dieting, which like I'm around people that for the most part, they don't have really like any much of an education or like too many like science-based um, knowledge, too much science-based knowledge about exercise and nutrition. So they kind of talk to me about it and like, well, what do you think about keto? Like I know my friend that did keto and lost X amount of weight or, should I go keto? Should I be cutting carbs? And it's like, can it be helpful? Yeah. But I think for the most part, it's, it's really, it's not what people think it is. It's not a magic cure. And the thing is, if you're going to talk about sustainability, no one wants to just not eat carbs for the rest of their life. So it's more helpful, I think, to focus on a diet that you can sustain rather than just like, I'm going to go keto for a month or two. Exactly. I mean, for me, keto is just the whole sustain, you know, the sustainability thing, mm -hmm. um, the whole adherence. Um, I don't think that it's useful um, for many more, many people. I mean, there are certain types of people, perhaps, um, you know, diabetics or perhaps people mm -hmm. who suffer with, um, I don't know, you know, different sorts of illnesses or they've been prescribed it, perhaps. Um, I know that there are um, epilepsy. Sorry, that's the mm -hmm. word I was thinking. People, yeah. you know, people that are epileptic. Um, but I think if your general goal is to lose weight, um, lose fat, um, yeah, I think keto, keto just strikes me as one of those diets which does rely a lot on effort. And I think mm -hmm. any diet that relies on effort or, or causes your, you know, your lifestyle to just flip on its head, it's mm -hmm. just sustainable. Um, yeah. You know? And I wonder if you can expand on, like, I know that I've talked to people about this concept before, but again, it's something I'm not super well versed on. But from what I know, keto was originally made as like something that they, I think it originated in the military for people that wanted to go sustain periods without eating. Because if you truly go ketogenic, you have these controls over your hunger um, symbols, I guess, and stuff like that. And so the point was, if you can go into ketosis, where I think the main difference is like the people that are doing this to, to seriously go into ketosis aren't eating like bunless hamburgers and chicken wings and stuff like that you know they're eating like you know whole vegetables and whole meats and stuff like that but the point just being that the original purpose of keto had these specific uh, performance-based metrics as far as from what I know do you know much about that like the history yeah I mean the I the actual definition of keto it's just hard when you're talking about the word keto because even that's just like such, it brings up this connotation where you know you're not most people that are doing keto like the average person isn't truly doing it the way it's supposed to be 
No, exactly. This is what I was going to say. Keto, the an actual keto diet is actually under 25 grams of carbohydrates a day. So mm. that's actually, if you think about it, no more than two apples. Mm. So although, yeah, they, they are eating fresh vegetables, um, they're still actually limited to, to, you know, by how much they can have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure on, on in terms of performance, because every time someone brings this up, you know, I'm looking on PubMed, I'm looking on all these different um, places where there is actually legitimate research. Mm-hmm. I'm yet to see any, you know, any um, concrete evidence to suggest that a keto diet is more beneficial than one which has a sufficient amount of carbohydrates for performance. Mm -hmm. Um, I only ever prescribe keto for um, as a tool. So for fighters at the end of their fight camp where training Mm -hmm. has tapered down and they may, like I said, they have to restrict carbohydrates. So what do we do? We don't create a severe energy deficit. We'll increase their protein and their fats, which is almost like a keto diet. Yeah. But even then, they're not going under 25 grams. They may go under 75 grams of carbohydrate right. a day. Um, and even that's on some of the smaller guys. You know, Some of the larger guys may be on a, under 150 grams. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not what you consider keto. Yeah. Um, but in terms, of, in terms of performance, there is a lot of anecdotal evidence, a lot of opinions out there to suggest that, you know, oh, I feel great on it, I'm running yeah. for longer. Um, but there aren't many sports which can utilize fats that efficiently as a fuel. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at like um, runners or ultra marathoners, that, these guys require fast acting fuel, which yeah. you can only really get from carbohydrates. Um, so yeah, in terms of performance, I just don't see it adding up really. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing that you, that you mentioned there is like energy. I know that, like I said, I think that based on my environment, I get to talk to a lot of people that are like, you know, <laughs> the, the stereotypical average dieter, not really having any science-based information. And like, you always hear like, oh yeah, like I'm losing weight on this keto diet, but I have such low energy. I don't really have the fuel to work out. And then you try to explain to someone that's because you're not eating the carbohydrates and the carbohydrates is the main source of energy for working out. Yeah, I think completely right. I mean, I think the whole, the whole, um, cause on the flip side, there are people who think that their energy, you know, they feel better. Mm. And I think, I think these are people who have gone from having high sugar diets right. where blood sugar levels have spiked and then dropped. So you have this feeling of energy and then you feel lethargic and then they've gone from just completely removing sugar mm-hmm. um, rather than having, you know, perhaps some um, complex sources of carbohydrates, things yeah. like potatoes, vegetables are fine. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're putting, you know, if you're consuming a shit ton of sugar every, mm-hmm. every, every hour, um, is it any surprise you feel these, you know, peaks and troughs in energy? Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, I think the other probably important thing to note is like a lot of the time someone who tries keto for the first time might be, obese or borderline obese and so any diet you introduce any food restriction you introduce from that point on is going to make you feel better because the body naturally doesn't well it wants to store fat naturally but its natural you know tendency is not to want to be obese that's not helpful or healthy in any sort of way really exactly exactly Just going yeah. on that diet so another thing that i was kind of curious about when you talk about like the whole cutting weight and fighters and stuff like that is how does that relate <laughs> How does that relate to like bodybuilding? Is it very similar where I know that they go through a depletion process too to get lean for their shows, but how does, how does the process of like getting lean for a bodybuilding show relate to the process of just strictly wanting to lose weight for fighting? How do those two intermix? I mean, it is actually very similar. It's very similar. I mean, that's not my speciality. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I do know that there are 
bodybuilding coaches out there who use very similar methods. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, they, they hit the tan beds as well. <laughs> That's something we don't do with the fighters. Um, but yeah, I, th I think the main thing is, you know, it is um, restricting sodium. I know that they also, on top of that, probably restrict fiber. Um, mm -hmm. And this is just to create that flushing effect, mm -hmm. you know, um, so that you are pushing the water out. Um, and then I think they consume a high carbohydrate meal, which gives that vascularity yeah. um, on when you're on stage. Whereas um, with the fighters, we're, I think the main difference is that they're going for aesthetics, whereas we are literally going for performance. Yeah, that was, that was another interesting thing that I was just kind of thinking is like, it's, it's interesting how people might look at a fighter and like, oh, like they're not in that good of shape, but it's just, be, I mean, they're obviously in incredible shape, but their number one goal is not to look at that aesthetic. Their number one goal is just performance based. And so yeah, exactly. I wonder, I wonder what, well, what are some of the things you observe as far as like when like a heavier weight fighters that carry around more body fat, what is some of the difference differences there? I mean, they will they tend to diet, diet more. So reduce body mm -hmm. fat. Um, because it, like I said, it's the muscle that contains the water. Mm -hmm. So actually the leaner fighters in the lower weight classes actually can lose, you know, water weight. They can. Oh cut yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I never thought about um, that. Yeah. Because although they, they're smaller, they contain, you know, per kilo of body weight, pound of body weight, they actually have more glycogen in the muscle. Whereas, mm -hmm. um, fighters with larger body fat percentages don't actually contain, um, as much water. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one thing. I mean, I had a girl message me when I, a couple of weekends ago, when I did a, a guy over here, um, for one of the Bellator events, he, I had his before and after picture and mm -hmm. obviously before he was fully depleted, um, is what you would consider someone to be on a, in a show, you know, put him on stage mm -hmm. and afterwards he was fed, replenished, bit puffy looking mm -hmm. and she said, Oh, he looks, he looks better on the left. Yeah. And I'm sat there and I'm like, this guy, you know, was hallucinating almost, yeah, you know, not, not hallucinating, but very lethargic, you mm -hmm. know, didn't want to do anything. Um, but you're just looking at how he, you know, how he looks, um, you know, his aesthetics. He's got abs there and then the other mm -hmm. one, he's got like this layer of water covering it. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it does really show you, it does back up what you're saying that, you know, aesthetics aren't performance. There, is there emphasis on like you want to get as lean as possible so that you have, you know, like maybe try to have the goal of having more overall muscle as uh, other people in your weight class? Yeah, or because it's dependent on the individual. Yeah, it does depend on the individual. But I think everyone now is trying to cut weight because you get that advantage. And mm -hmm. if you don't, then you very quickly sort out your you very quickly sort out your diet, you address your weight because you mm -hmm. want that advantage because others are cutting to the weight class below. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a lot of fighters who start off two or three weight classes above. And then by the time our work is done, we've adjusted their eating habits. We focus on body fat. Mm -hmm. um, they end up realizing well, I actually want to cut because I want to be the bigger guy in that division, yeah. with larger reach and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so I think everyone is trying to reduce their weight and be as lean as possible. Because as I said, if you are lean, you can get more water out mm -hmm. um, and cut more weight. The other question I have when you, when you talk about fighters is how, what, what is their training like as far as how much weight training are they doing? And then what kind of rep ranges are they doing? I wonder, you know, I, I, I am obviously like the most interested in bodybuilding. So I know the most about that. Are they doing really low weight to try to get as strong as possible? I mean, low reps or like, you know, how much of their focus is weight training overall, even in the first place? 
Yeah, I mean, I obviously don't handle this side of it. My um, SNC coach, Adam, mm. is, uh, is the guy that programs that. But the one thing I do notice is that they are sat around the six to eight rep range. Okay. Um, never see 10 or more reps, mm-hmm. um, or certainly never see hypertrophy. Yeah. Um, but they're training, I think they, a couple of them get two weight sessions in a week. Okay. So either up or lower or okay. uh, two full bodies with a conditioning session as well. Um, but other than that, it's all just technical training, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so working on the ground, the grappling, the striking. Um, and obviously this does taper down as we enter the last mm-hmm. you know, the final couple of weeks of fight camp. Yeah, that's another interesting point, too, just to point out to like the if you're going back to like the average person, you know, just points out that to have like a great looking body, you don't have to do weight training a certain amount of times for a week. You really just have to eat healthy and make sure you're getting in exercise every day. Obviously, it's a much, much different process and intensity level for those fighters. But I think the same principles can be used where if you want to look at just having a fit and healthy body. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, they are uh, they are doing other training mm-hmm. um, at the same time. That is probably why their their strength training or you know their their weight training is is only twice a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I know for my don't don't do it at all. Don't do any mm-hmm. weight training. <laughs> yeah, like I know I know for myself, I used to get really fixated on like I would say there was a point about a year ago or so when I really just decided to turn things around and focus more on the evidence based training and nutrition side and. I, before when I was more like the bro training, I was really focused on, oh, I got to work out these muscles this many times per week and stuff like that. And then now I realize it's more just <coughs> like everything. It's more of just a lifestyle. And so just making sure you're getting some form of exercise and you're eating healthy consistently. And just, I think that consistently, uh, consistency just kind of embodies the whole, the whole idea there. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, the consistency is the key, isn't it? And then you can look at things like, um, timing mm. and, uh, and of you know um you know specific feedings like protein for example you know the main thing is get 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 your daily amount in and as you become more consistent and you're an athlete and you're on that marginal gain yeah um, you can then focus on having specific servings throughout the day mm. um, but as you said the first most important thing is just train consistently yeah, and just eat consistently all right so we'll do a little pivot here uh one of the things that i initially plan on talking about before that was just a lot of interesting stuff that was more kind of like my own personal interest. So that was, that was cool to learn out, learn about. But uh, what I initially planned on bringing up was just the fact that you are, I guess, for lack of a better term, one of the bullshit squashers on Instagram. Uh, you like to kind of come out and you got that bold kind of humor, humorous sort of personality uh, where you approach uh, fads and stuff and fitness and nutrition so how did you kind of start to take that route and how did you sort of individualize it in that way? Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, I, I've never really been a, as much as I've been through academia, and mm-hmm. I've never been a very professional person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for me, um, professionalism is classed as doing a good job at what right. you're doing. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of people out there using the right talking the right way mm-hmm. but they're bullshitting people um and not being completely honest or, or evidence-based mm-hmm. so for me i i don't know i struggled with business for a good year and then i just thought you know what this isn't me i just want to be myself i just want to you know 
I just, I suppose I just want to be honest with people. So yeah, be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So I, I started um, calling out some of these misconceptions, obviously like these myths, started breaking them down, started adding in certain keywords like swear words, <laughs> and that that created quite um, an interest. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it wasn't about swearing. It was about getting people to listen to what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of people like me out there that were shutting down these myths, but they weren't making perhaps enough noise um, mm-hmm. to be heard. Um, and then that led on to just destroying people for promoting, you know, mm-hmm. um, fads like Herbalife and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So, um, yeah, and then here we are now. It's a regular thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things, like just the culture we live in, the more bold and brash you are, like that's how you get noticed. And so I think it's awesome, you know, just and that and the aspect of just differentiating yourself. Because there's plenty of people out there that can offer good information on Instagram and online, but I think that just differentiating yourself and being putting yourself out there in a unique way is a a really good way to get your message across. So exactly. if, if you had to sum it up, give like a a top two or three or four uh, biggest myths that you find are the most harmful out there that you try to squash on a regular basis. I know that you're um, big, you're big on uh, coming at the fit tea people. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say them. So just um, any sort of magic pill or potion, you know, we, we know that the underlying science is they're creating an energy deficit. Mm-hmm. You know? um, if the ethos of herbal life and these fit teas and all of that was, this is just a lower calorie shake. If you replace your higher calorie meal with this shake, it might put you in a deficit. I would have no problem, no problem, because that's the honest truth. Um, but when you pass this off as a magic potion that's going to help you burn body fat, um that i have an issue with that because yeah, then you're keeping someone at arm's length aren't you in order to you know make a continuous buck from them mm. uh, you know they're having to pay you consistently for that progress and i as a coach it's about educating them so they can go at it by themselves you know um so that's one the whole eating uh eating after eight or six uh, or i don't know i don't know what the time zone is <laughs> mm. <laughs> the idea that that makes you fat um, is another is another one that I have a massive issue with. Um, I mean, obviously this isn't good, but you could essentially save the bulk, you know, the majority of your carbohydrates for the evening, mm. uh, and still lose body fat. You know, as long as you're not consuming right. over a certain amount. Well, I think that the reason they say that is because, like, yeah, if you eat your normal breakfast, lunch, and dinner, okay, well, if you eat after eight o'clock, you're probably putting yourself in a calorie surplus, and that's all there is to it, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But the idea that you know, like for, for me, I, I fast the morning, so I actually mm-hmm. haven't I haven't yet had my first meal of the day yet. Mm-hmm. But last night I would have eaten, you know, I would have eaten a snack about ten p.m. Mm-hmm. So that that's you know, when you put restrictions on when people should and shouldn't eat, it just sometimes it causes um, a bit of confusion, um, and that's something that needs to be cleared up. You know. Mm-hmm. So um, why do you why do you think I have a pretty good idea on my, of my own? But why do you think that? stuff like fit teas are so uh, prominent in the online space and why do you think they kind of just get perpetuated like they do? Um, because we are the generation of quick fixes now, aren't we? Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. And also as well, I think people think that to achieve their goal is their goals. It's going to be a lot harder than it actually is. Mm-hmm. You know, they think, Oh, I've got to work out. I've got to eat healthy. I've got to eat clean, whatever that means, you know? Um, and the reality is no, mate, you can still eat what you're eating. Just maybe eat a little bit less and just try mm-hmm. and move a little bit more, you know? 
um, that's it. Well, the sad thing is to me is like people, I don't think that it's a lack of discipline necessarily. It is on some level, but like you see a lot of people where like they might work out two hours a day and eat, you know, count their calories strictly during the week, but then eat 5,000 calories a day on Saturday and Sunday, not realizing that that's just ruining their progress. So I think that it's not necessarily a lack of discipline as much as it is a lack of uh, quality information out there. For sure, for sure. I mean, fat loss is slower than than we we give credit to. That's why I love the idea of tracking your calories weekly, mm-hmm. um, because you can put so much effort in to the first couple of weeks. You know, you can train two hours a day. You can go on a fifteen hundred calorie diet, but mm-hmm. the thing is, it, it it leaves you with no room to progress. It leaves you feeling disappointed when mm-hmm. progress stalls. You expect progress to happen tomorrow. And, you know, you really just want to take it slow and try not to think too much about it. You know, have a passion for your training and for cooking and whatnot, but really don't focus too much on the macros and drive Mm -hmm. yourself insane and neurotic about it, you know? Yeah. The best thing I think you can do is just make it in a lifestyle. Exactly. I know that, I know that, you know, um, Mitch Harb a little bit, I've corresponded with him a little bit on Instagram. Uh, I saw a post of his yesterday and he was just talking about how, um, you know, just kind of at a point it's hard it's easy to be hard on yourself with your fitness and nutrition but i think that he made a good point in just saying that once you make it a lifestyle it's it's to the point where you'd have to make an effort to to get away from this lifestyle as opposed to if you're just on like a diet and you know just making it a diet for a certain period of time it's gonna be so much easier to just fall off and go back into negative habits as opposed to making it a lifestyle yeah, and it's so true. It's so true. I mean, weight weight maintenance is one of the most underrated mm-hmm. underrated things going. You know, anyone can achieve a great transformation peak in eight, twelve, mm-hmm. sixteen weeks. It's what do you do after? You know, well, what happens when you've left that program? That's yeah. what um, myself as a coach, you know, what I care about. Yeah, uh, and that's why people like Lane Norton. Like, I know he has the book Fat Loss Forever. I don't know if you're very familiar with that. Yeah, but yeah. the basis is just like you know, 95% or whatever it is of people will gain most of the weight back after they go on a diet. And so that's why, you know, there's people like you out there that are trying to make it more of a sustainable lifestyle. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. I think that's the key, isn't it? It's just, you know, making it, making it a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so another one of the things you like to talk about on your Instagram, I see is just, I guess, to put it in plain terms, devilifying food where, you know, you can go, you can eat candy and you can eat cake and you know your favorite you know quote-unquote junk foods as long as you fit it into your calories and realize that you know it's not inherently bad why do you think that that is another one of the misconceptions that gets perpetuated and what are some of your thoughts on that um possibly because um a lot of these health clean eating freaks Mm -hmm. um have vilified some of these foods Mm -hmm. Um, i think a lot of people don't understand that these foods are dose dependent. So, um, you know, having a, you know, a pack of M&Ms once, you know, is, isn't going to kill you. It's not going to affect your health mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, unless you're allergic to peanuts. <laughs> um, but you know, they get the confused with the dose, you know, if you're having that three times a day, every day, yeah, it becomes a bit of an issue. Um, but, enjoying a treat isn't gonna ruin you know ruin your health is not bad for you um and i think i think people just want to associate weight loss and health with 
you know, obviously clean foods because that's mm -hmm. what you see. You know, when you see a when you see a, a lean, attractive, and energetic individual, they tend to seem like they they eat healthy. Whereas when you see someone who's slobbed down the sofa eating pizza and chocolate, that's what you associate with unhealthy. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think it's just something that underlying psychology there, but. Um, yeah, I really want us to sort of move away from that, um, and that's what I try to show you on my on my Instagram. That's why I show when I'm eating pizza and stuff, you know, just to, that we're all human, and um, you know what you do some of the time, you know, doesn't matter as much as what you do most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I love the fact that I think you had the post recently that was it was like about the extra ten to fifteen pounds or something like that. Was that something that you posted? Yeah, yeah. I really like that one. Yeah, do you want to like expand on that a little bit? I don't remember exactly what it said, but I remember that was one of the favorite posts I saw in the last week. Yeah, I mean, I share that every year. It comes up on a Facebook on a memory every year. Mm -hmm. um, but where is it? I'm just going to try and find it. Yeah, that one. So I think the key is, you know, the fact that you, if you want abs, a lot of people think abs and low body fat percentage is going to make them happy. But you actually have to sacrifice a lot of the things which already make you happy just mm -hmm. to get that minor bit of happiness, um, which once you've got it, you, you, you know, you're not really that bothered about it anyway. Um, so I just think, you know, what you're going to sacrifice going out on the weekend, sacrifice having family meals, you know, mm -hmm. seeing your friends, doing certain stuff just to have abs, which aren't really going to make you happy anyway. Um, I just feel like stuff like that, you know, why sacrifice, you know, you get one guy around in life. Why sacrifice, you know, your enjoyment just for, for a bit of vanity or for something that, you know, won't necessarily mm -hmm. make you happy. Um, and I think that that's what this sort of gets at, you know, is those, those last five or 10 pounds, you know, are the difference between you being able to go out with your partner and have that meal once a week. And, and, you know, life's too short. Yeah. I think that one of the interesting things is like, obviously people like you in the Instagram space are so knowledgeable but it's like when you talk about the fit tees, it's usually the picture of that guy or girl with their shirt off and they're just looking completely ripped. And it's just like, I wish that more people realize that how ripped you are and, you know, one specific picture doesn't correlate to how much knowledge you have or, you know, how much quality information you can share with people. Yeah. That's what's, that's what's tough by Instagram. There's a lot of benefits to Instagram, but that's one of the negative aspects of it, in my opinion. Yeah, it's really true. Everyone looks at aesthetics, don't they? Mm -hmm. that, that's how it is. I mean, um, I said something the other, the other the other month on Instagram about how you know our biggest marketing tool for for my online plan is progress pictures, um, and it's a shame really because I could post up something saying you know this is what you're going to include this is how what we're going to do to your lifestyle how mm -hmm. we're going to help um, <coughs> really promote sustainability mm -hmm. and show them that it's not that difficult but people won't give a shit you know mm -hmm. people read it and they say oh well whatever but the minute you post a picture of an attractive woman up or a guy with abs. You know, they want to sign up straight away. Yeah. Um, and it is a shame. It is a shame. But it's, that's marketing for you, isn't it? Advertising. Yeah. yeah. That's like, that's something I tell people a lot is like, I think in the transformation of getting into the best shape and just feeling a lot better. And I mean, just, I have improved a lot aesthetically, but the thing I tell people is like, I wish that I could show as easily as I can show aesthetics, I could show the change in my mindset and the change in my happiness and just mental well-being because that's what really changes the most. But unfortunately, like you say, it's not something you can show uh, in a picture necessarily. It's it's just an internal thing that you feel. But there's nothing sure. quite like that feeling of just feeling happy with your lifestyle and your diet overall. 
Exactly. That's that's where the magic is. You know, that's where the positives. That's what I care about. You know, because mm-hmm. um, that's that's where you see a good change in it in a client when they know what they need to do. They feel confident. They can go out alone. They don't have any guilt towards food um, or restrictions, um, and they're content with the journey that they're on. That's the real magic. You know, mm-hmm. Not, you know, I've had guys who have had abs for for a month just for the summer, and you know, I'm getting texts every day saying oh can i eat this can i eat that mm. oh i'm you know i'm feeling tired today and for what man just for the for abs to show off in ibiza when you're spending 200 200 on a 200 euros on a bottle of moe with people you don't even like you know mm. like for what man for what yeah 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 so we're winding down here but another one of the questions that brings up is how how do you go about um i don't know if fixing is quite the, quite the right word but how do you go about reframing people's uh, guilt around food because I think that when you talk about the psychology and the whole um, positive mindset around eating and food, one of the one of the big things to get over is that guilt that people feel about eating on quote unquote unhealthy food. And so, what are some of the ways you go about that? Um, I mean, I like the whole concept of mindful mindful eating. I know that um, it's a bit of a wishy washy uh, sort of concept, um, and it does take a bit of accountability with a coach um, because you can obviously mindfully. You know, you can intuitively, sorry, eat your way to uh, <laughs> to obesity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, practicing, you know, fullness, eating until you're full, you know, know you're satisfied rather than stuffed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think including some of the foods that you love in moderation is a key. And I'm, there are a lot of foods on in, my, in one of our snack menus on my online plan. Um, there's crisps, there's yogurts, there's chocolate, you know, there's things that are lower calorie, but still... Mm-hmm. Um, foods that help people stay on track. And I think that that really helps when they see that and they say, oh, wow, you're not vilifying these foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can still make progress while still enjoying those foods. Um, and I think also, though, understanding your trigger foods. So understanding mm-hmm. that there are certain foods that may, yeah. you know, biscuits, you know, maybe having one or two isn't a good idea because it's going to cause you because, to demolish yeah. the whole pack. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something I think is overlooked. Mm-hmm. You just talk. I mean, there's just so much that goes behind the psychology. I think that more than anything, that's what, what's most useful to, to figure out and to learn more about. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And everyone's different, aren't they? You know, every, every, so the, that's the issue with the, with the psychology, you know, you can mm-hmm. work out someone's calories and protein and it's a bit of trial and error, but you can sort of master that. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the psychology, it's, it's an ongoing thing. And it's also something that never really is, you know, um necessarily fixed you know it may be fixed in that moment in that month but you may have someone fall off the wagon and and it's about encouraging them and letting them know you know like let's make your next meal a great meal Mm -hmm. don't worry don't hate yourself you've you know we all do it you know this summer's coming up i'm probably going to have weddings social occasions Mm -hmm. my diet's going to go out the window and that's okay and um, i think people need to understand that that's okay yeah yeah Yeah. that's it's another interesting thing when you talk about the quote unquote, clean and dirty eating. No, there's not such thing as inherently unhealthy foods. But when you go and you want to label foods as clean and dirty, uh, well, some of that might come from the fact that like, a quote unquote, dirty food is a lot of times like something that's heavily processed. And so by nature, it's so much easier to overconsume than like a vegetable or fruit or a lean protein source or a complex carb, just because of the you talked about the word there satiety, just the feeling full and feeling satisfied from a food where, you know, you can just completely gorge yourself on processed foods because by nature, they're easier to overconsume. Yeah, I mean, obviously, because it's easier for the body to break down. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but also as well people forget that these foods contain added salt and, and mm-hmm. fat um, and sugar which just makes, makes them more palatable, more palatable. Mm-hmm. so so yeah for sure um i mean i had a i have i have a fighter who's heavyweight and he um he's a clean eating freak mm-hmm. I, won't, I won't mention his name um but he's a, he's a bit of a clean eating freak and uh, i showed it i you know Bear in mind, they have a 24-hour window to weigh in to mm-hmm. from when they weigh in to when they compete. This guy has to consume near on 400 grams of carbohydrates in that um, eating window, maybe even higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I send him the foods, the list of foods, and he's saying, "Mate, you've got like flapjacks and mm-hmm. you know chocolate bars in here. Um, why would I be eating that the day before my fight? Like they're dirty foods." And I'm sat there and I'm thinking, "Mate." Do you think we're going to get 450 grams of carbohydrates in from just eating broccoli in a 24-hour window? Sometimes you have completely blind. food quality, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's just that whole idea, you know, of, of clean eating and dirty eating. It's, it's bollocks. I, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's about all our time here. So I'll go ahead and ask you the closing question that I ask all my guests, and that is years and years from now when, you know, you get old and gray, and you begin to look back on your life and contemplate your story, what do you want the story of your life to be as far as, you know, the story that you tell other people? And then just on top of that, what's the story going to be that other people tell about you? Um, I'm not sure what people will tell about me. Hopefully good things. <laughs> but I think I would want my story to be that, you know, I, I was one of the people that helped um, shape the industry for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's sick that, um the health and fitness industry is you know in the condition that it's in at the moment with mm-hmm. the amount of are being misled and i would just like my story um and i feel like my purpose is to try and help guide people on the right path um and i think looking later down the line and looking back on you know future generations and seeing that the industry is in a much better condition and people are a lot less confused and mm-hmm. happy um more happy uh, i would you know, that's what will bring me happiness um, as well. So that's, that's what my, I feel like I want to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. So um, we'll wrap up here. I'll give you a chance to kind of give a spiel about all the things you got going on, maybe where people can find you and uh, any closing thoughts you'd like to include. Awesome. So my, um, you can find my website. It's www.mrsport.org. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which is my main platform uh, at Mr. Sport Official. Um, and yeah, at the moment, I'm just working with the fighters. If you are a fan of MMA or you're certainly, you know, you're in the UK, um, check out my page. There's a lot of useful stuff going on there. Um, and yeah, I'm just trying to, trying to, you know, as I said, demystify nutrition and make it a little bit more accessible for, for the common folk. Um, and yeah, there we go. it's a never ending battle. There's always, there's always going to be new information out there and it's always going to be bullshit to squash, I guess you could say. <laughs> That's it, bro. That's it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, bro. Cheers. This has been the What's Your Story podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, uh, share with family and friends, and leave me a review. I really appreciate any and all feedback. Thanks.